I can tell that you want to watch TV now. Which is okay, because you've already indulged me in conversation about this in a very sincere way. But can I tell you what my necessary delusion is about the podcast? What? So, you know, I fell behind in the episodes. Yeah. And so, like right now, I'm cutting Monday's episode. And if I don't get an episode done, then the episode doesn't go up on Monday. This Monday will be fine, right? I should be fine, but I'm feeling this this little dull panic about it, and I feel it all day because I'm like, what if I don't have an episode ready? Yeah, what if you don't? Hey, Matt LeBlanc here. What you're listening to is a conversation that I had with my wife, Pow. We were laying in bed after a long day of work, trying to relax, but I couldn't seem to turn off that little voice in my head from telling me a story. I think what my necessary delusion is is if I don't put an episode up next Monday, then I'll lose everything that I've gained. That's what it feels like every time you talk about it. I feel like you feel that way. I feel like if I miss a week, my necessary delusion is this whole thing has just been another false start. This reminds me of the time when I was in grad school and then you are preparing for like a super important like thesis or something and then you study the entire night and then when you're ready to go to sleep, you don't want to go to sleep because you think all the information is going to fall off your brain. <laughs> and you're going to wake up as a blank slate and no, the information is gone. Did that ever happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, where I forgot everything? No, actually, you wake up remembering everything so much better than when you went to sleep. Because when you go to sleep, your, your brain is so tired already. Same thing that's happening with you. You feel like if you don't post on a Monday, everything is going to fall apart. In my mind, I can't just pick up the next Monday. It's like, it's over. No, nothing happens really. The mm. world keeps revolving. I can just post the next Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And everything will be fine. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and it feels very uncool to say this, but I could beat you in Friends Trivia. The show, Friends, I could beat you in Trivia. I could. I've seen every episode like four times, which is especially embarrassing because my name is Matt LeBlanc. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's out there. That was cathartic, actually. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And I want to thank you for supporting the podcast. As you could probably tell from the conversation with my wife in the cold open, putting these stories together every week means a lot to me. And even though no one is asking for them and I've created this responsibility all on my own, I feel a lot of pressure to deliver. Delusion! Because not only do I get some catharsis from putting them together, if I'm being honest, I think I just like to see myself this way. I like to see myself as some underdog storyteller driven by fantasies. I like the idea of calling myself an expert about something that's subjective by nature. Oof, 
It all sounds so privileged when I say it flat out like that, but that's how I like to see myself which is obviously a delusion that I'm working on. Anyway, it's been about 10 years now since I've shifted my hustle away from being an auditioning actor and have set my goal I'm getting paid for my ideas. I think deep down I just want people to think that I'm smart and funny instead of obnoxious and self-serving. Spoiler alert, I am all of the above. And I can finally accept that. Now, in my mid-30s, I feel like I can finally see who I am, and at the risk of sounding like a total douche, I am learning to love this person. Okay, I'm not totally there yet. I beat myself up a lot, and when I look back over my life, I can come up with a lot of regrets if I'm being honest. Ugh, I do feel like a douche. It's a true statement that needed to be made, but oof. Admitting that I love myself in a sincere way in a confessional kind of, like, recording like this? It feels vulnerable. Pfft, what? No, I don't love myself. I mean, he's cool. We're bros. He's like, he's a good guy, but like, I don't like love that guy. You know, he's, he's a piece of shit. Now that is something I feel comfortable saying. I'm such a piece of shit. Why am I telling myself that story? I'm gonna be honest, guys. Today is going to be a bit of a messy episode. And if the confession in the opening isn't some sort of signal to you, not only am I feeling pressure to get the episodes together, but I'm hustling a little bit here. Frankly, I started a new job and I do not have as much time as I previously did. And I am scrambling to keep this together. <laughs> But then maybe I'm just getting caught up in my own bullshit, and I should just get to the story. My storyteller today is a stranger, essentially. I met him at my nephew's birthday party. It was a Spider-Man birthday party in Orange County. My brother and my sister-in-law went all out. There was uh, Spider-Man balloons and a pinata. They had a Spider-Man impersonator show up. I was just kind of standing there by myself watching all the kids play, and next thing I knew, I was talking to Leo about bees. I can't remember when they became my favorite animal, but I have to say it was at least in the last decade. The more I learned about them, the more interested I was in them, the more I wanted to know about them. And for years, I mean, this is years, I have always just been like, okay, what else can I know about them? He's talking about bees. Leo loves bees. Yeah, bees, geez, their societies, their relationships. I mean, they're an insect. They're an armored living creature that flies through the air to sip nectar out of a flower. And if you have to take nectar into consideration, it's literally you're taking energy from the sun and minerals from the ground, and you're combining those inside the plant, and you're creating the antithesis of fire. And your result of that is sugar. And you're putting it into the petals of a modified leaf that these little armored creatures find with their eyes that can see more colors than us. They take a little sip, they bring it back to their nest, they make hexagons, which is one of the coolest shapes ever, and, and they, they spit it back into these little storage containers to make honey. Honey is basically crystallized sunlight that is pure energy. And these things are making batteries of pure sunlight. Did he get you? He got me. This dude finds magic in bees, and it's infectious, if you ask me. Did that rhyme? <laughs> Guys, I'm kind of falling apart today. Uh, Leo's been interested in all kinds of science and animals and nature since he was a kid. He's gone to school for related things, and he worked at an ocean institute, and I wish I could give you a big, long list of his degrees and credentials here, but... It was unclear when we talked. Anyway, this has been sort of the mission of his life, though, has been science and natural things. But keeping bees has been his dream for at least a decade. But like a lot of things, Leo got caught up in the research. I would always tell myself, like, oh, you need to know more. You need to do more research. You need to, you need to figure this out. You need to know this backwards and forwards before you even start. Delusion! So instead of keeping bees, 
for years, he just thought about keeping bees. We've all got that thing, right? For me, it was this podcast. Oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, podcast junkie. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm definitely, definitely going to start a podcast. And I've got a really good idea of what I want it to be about. Really? What do you want it to be about? Not totally sure yet, but it's going to be big. Got a lot of uh, references of what I want to do but I just did not materialize anything for years. Anyway, it's episode 13, guys. Call it a bad luck episode. If I'm being totally honest, I'm a little hungover. The world just opened up, and we went out with friends last night for the first time, but then you might be listening to this thinking, aren't we here to listen to a guy talk about bees? Here's Leo. Anytime I see them out in nature, I just like hang out and stare at them for hours, and my friends are all hanging out, and they all know, so they always send me bee facts or like bee things or whatever, and I'm always just eating it up. I'm like, yeah, let me, let me know more about those. I mean, they're just so cool. I love his unbridled enthusiasm. I haven't nerded out about something natural like this since I was like nine years old when I was fantasizing about having my iguana. But Leah was a grown man with a wife and a baby, and this dude gets excited about bees. They just mean something more to him. Anyway, Leo has spent the better part of 10 years learning and researching and imagining and feeding his necessary delusion that one day he will keep bees. But he also had this other story going the whole time. And it was this little story that said, you don't know enough to keep bees. You need to keep reading. Leo knew what he wanted, but he was having a very hard time allowing himself to put it into action. How many times have I stopped myself to think instead of doing when my gut told me exactly what to do? And if I would have listened to that gut, I would have been just fine. There was this one time I was traveling after high school and I was actually talking to this guy and we were in a canoe together. I just ended up in this canoe <laughs> with this guy. He's a traveling banjo player from you know Alabama, I think it was. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't know why I can't just decide things. And he's like, well, why don't you just start deciding things? And at the time, you know, that's what I needed to hear, but I didn't quite get it. And he's just like, really, you just need to make those decisions. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, we're coming up on a fork in the, the river. And I was like, yeah, which way do you want to go? And he's like, well, which way do you want to go? You're the one who's wanting to decide, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go left. And he's like, wow, great. That was good. At the last second, I changed my mind. And I was like, no, let's go right. So I started going right. I had to jump out of the canoe and wrench it over to the side to the right. And he's laughing. He's just like, what do you think was going to happen? You decided at the last second that you're going to change your mind because you're thinking too much. You should have just chosen. We wouldn't be up on the beach right now. It's all about the decisions. And while Leo has always kind of been the guy that thinks too much and keeps himself in the box of learning, I've kind of been the opposite. I've made most of my decisions in an instant without the appropriate amount of thoughtfulness. When I was graduating high school, I really had not given college much thought at all. I was all set to attend this state school about an hour away. My plan there was to do theater. That was sort of the extent of that plan. I just made up my mind that I was not going to do that. I was walking around in the hallway at school one day when I saw a stray college poster taped to the wall. The poster read, University of the Arts. It featured a giant group shot of alternative looking artist types. The school was in Philadelphia. So I pulled the paper off the wall and I made my decision right there without even so much as a Google search. If I could get into the University of the Arts for acting, then I'd go there. I got into UArts and so that's where I went to college because of a picture on a flyer. A lot of privilege in that story when I retell it. Anyway, Leo got caught up picking in college too, but he got caught up in the research. And if you can't tell, research is kind of code for delusion today. Two different colleges that I was looking to get into and I was like bouncing back and forth between them. And I ended up thinking about it so much all the way up to like the very last 
minute of being able to even apply to them. And then I woke up in the morning and I was like, yeah, you know, I got to go decide that. So I go downstairs and I boot up my computer and there's no internet. And I'm like, no way. I have an hour and a half to figure this out. Like I got to get my internet back or go somewhere where there is internet or whatever. And, you know, I started racing around libraries closed, couldn't do that. And I just ended up panicking and I didn't get to apply to either of them. And that's as clear as, as it is. It was like, you didn't choose. You could have just done both, uh, but you, you wanted to choose one so badly, but didn't do it that you wasted all that time up until the point and then had to wait until the next season to even apply for either of those again. He spent so much time debating that he didn't even apply. He went eventually, and then he went again. He actually spent the better part of a decade going to school, but he also just kind of took his path, tried different things in the sciences. For quite a while, he worked as an instructor at the Ocean Institute, giving tours to people and teaching them about marine life. This turned out to be a great avenue to talk about his research. And strangely enough, this had also been his exact dream as a kid, to work at this Ocean Institute, the same place that he had volunteered when he was 10. And yet, when he was doing it as an adult, day to day, he said it just didn't feel like him. Delusion. It was crazy to have that like experience of like, I'm touching my dream that I used to have, but I, I kind of left it for a reason. I didn't really see like a future in it, which put me back in my place of like, okay, then what am I going to really do if this is just a job for now? Oof, that hit home. The job for now, which is code for today, your real life. We are all so busy making plans. Delusion and then COVID happened. And so the Institute closed, like everything did. And he found himself looking for work in the middle of the pandemic, like a lot of us. He actually got involved in harvesting mushrooms and selling them at farmer's markets. Not magic mushrooms, guys, mushroom mushrooms. Leo knows a lot about mushrooms. The criminy mushrooms you'd find at the store. Uh, and then portobello mushrooms, they're the same mushroom. It's just different stages of their life. So the little white button to criminy to portobello, it's all the same mushrooms. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. He was getting closer to what he wanted, but he wasn't there yet. Sometime along the way, he and his girlfriend were getting serious and he proposed. They're buying a house and we're gonna get married. And next thing he knew, they were pregnant. So I'm gonna be a father now. Why don't we add another layer of, of responsibility onto all of that? Having my son, and like looking at him and thinking if I wanted to be a dad that he can look at and be like, oh, yeah, that's more like the person I want to be. Or I figured, OK, then I need to start kind of just deciding and doing instead of all this research and planning. There's really not a lot of doing there unless you take initiative. A good delusion can only push you so far and a bad delusion can only hold you back to a point because it's the action that is inspired by them that really counts. I was at the park with my son and he was doing his thing, you know, playing with some kids toys and being a baby. And uh, I got hit in the top of the head with something and I look up and it's a hive. A beehive. A bee had hit me in the head and that's what caused me to look up. And I'm like, oh, 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 I shouldn't look at this because if somebody sees it, it's a public park. They're just going to exterminate it. So, you know, I just kind of side-eyed it every once in a while just to check on it. It was a pretty sizable hive. You know, they had they had comb and everything. I was about 12 feet up, right above my head. And then, yeah, it was about a basketball size. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, I got to come here and save the bees. And of course, I knew a ton of people who have been doing it and would professionally do it. And, you know, I know that the bees went to a good place because I know a lot of beekeepers and I'm just like, yeah, but then I, I could do it too. 
and there's nothing stopping me from doing it. It's just right there, and I have everything I need to know, don't I? So I looked up some B videos on YouTube really quick, and I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's super easy. Super easy. Just relocating a basketball-sized beehive full of wild bees from 12 feet out of a tree in a public park with no training or experience. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be super easy. And I just I went home and dropped the baby off, and... I went and got some equipment for it. I went to Tractor Supply right up the street from my house. Of course, when he'd been in the Tractor Supply before, longingly looking at the bee equipment, he wasn't sure if he would actually ever do it. This trip was different. So I got the bee stuff and they said, that's cool, do you keep bees? And I'm like, I'm about to. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna do it. Which the people at the Tractor Supply have learned is sometimes code for, I'll see you back here in 24 hours when I return all this stuff. I can't keep bees. Stay tuned after the break, but first, a delusional earth monster, my buddy Travis, who you met last week in the episode Marathon Liar. Travis has his own necessary delusion about bees. Here's Travis. I would imagine that it goes back to like early childhood. I don't like bees. I think the first time I ever got stung by a bee, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> to me, they're not an insect to be messed with. So it's never quite made sense to me why anybody fucks with them. It's sort of like snake charming or like people who get into any kind of deadly animal keeping. It's just like, what is, what? why in my head I see a bee and I'm like, that thing's out to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine a lot of people share this necessary delusion. The bees are out to get me. And Travis has built a little narrative to support this idea. My MO has been avoidance at all costs when it comes to bees. Right. Like I would run into fucking traffic to avoid a bee that was coming at me some I in I think like I know that I've definitely looked like a complete idiot while trying to bob and weave around a bee that was just like wouldn't leave me alone for whatever reason. So I think it, a lot of it has to do with there's a, an extreme victim complex that I have associated with bees of just like, they just won't leave me alone. They just come at me in the most random times. I'm just minding my own business. And then the bee comes out of nowhere and just reminds me that they exist in the worst way possible. Ta -ta delusion. I've been sitting inside of a Starbucks in West Hollywood working on a screenplay and had a bee fly into the Starbucks and sting me. <laughs> it was almost like that bee was just like, when was the last time we stung Travis? Six months ago? Okay, he's due. Where did it sting you in the Starbucks? Like what part of your body? On my neck. Ugh. I feel like personally, I've had the weirdest bee stings. In addition to like getting stung in my ear while on a golf course in the middle of my backswing, I was on a hike. I was like struggling with altitude and I sit down on a log in this little clearing area. And all of a sudden I start feeling like these pinches on my back. I thought that I had sat on like a, a nettle or like some sort of poison ivy or something like that. So I'm like, oh, what the hell? And I look up at my friend and he's staring behind me with this look of sheer horror on his face. And like all the color goes out of his face and he just points at me and he goes, bees and i literally sat on a beehive and they were just flying out of this log and they went and like attacked me and my friends and we all scattered it was like something out of a cartoon if you found a bee in your house what's the move get out of the house the house is now the bees <laughs> <laughs> what if you i'm are... moving 
<laughs> if I found a, a beehive anywhere around my house, I would immediately try to exterminate it. My first instinct isn't, great, I can start my beekeeping hobby now. <laughs> I mean, I guess that that's like the right thing to do, but no, I know that in my, instinctually my head would go to extermination. They're the most annoying insect out there in my what, opinion. What do you have to say to people who would argue that bees are like magical creatures that carry pollen and essentially make these like fantastic intricate hives what do you think about that all of those things are inherently true but also you're living in some sort of crazy fantasy world so you know i got the hive box and i got a, a hat screen and gloves and i just wore like a thick shirt and thick pants like you know i don't need a whole suit and they were out of a few things just because the bee season just started. So everybody's all rushing in to buy the bee stuff. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm going to have to buy a whole kit. So, you know, and one of the items that's very important is a smoker. And it's just a metal thing with a bellows on it. And you, you pump smoke onto the bees to calm them down. It just it triggers like a let's not fight right now because there could be a danger nearby with smoke and stuff like that. And they, they, they get to a, a calmer state. And so I got one of those. And yeah, so I, I got like a starter kit for bees and as I'm walking out of there, it was interesting because I wasn't, I thought that what I would be feeling is like, oh man, how am I going to do this? Like, this is crazy. I'm nervous. None of that. I just felt like this seems right. Delusion! So, you know, I got in my car and drove home and I was going to go at night. So I wanted to wait for nightfall because all the bees come back home at night. The baby stayed up late and he couldn't leave, but at least he had all the stuff. He decided to wait two more nights actually until Friday night so that he could ideally get the hive safely out of the tree and then deal with it properly on Saturday morning when he had a little time to himself. The night that I was going to do it, I was like, all right, this is it. Put the baby down for bed. And I think it was like nine or 10. His driveway was dark as he packed his equipment into the car. Headpiece, check. Gloves, check. Smoker, check. Garden shears to cut the branch, check. Ladder, check. He had left his brood box in the backyard. That's the box that you see people keeping bees in. This is where he would theoretically break the nest into pieces and give the bees a permanent home tomorrow. But what about tonight? He wasn't just gonna drive home with a nest in his lap. So he brought the cardboard box that the bee home had come in. That was the plan, bees in a cardboard box. After all of his daydreaming and years of research, this was one of many moments that he would figure out when he got to the park. He drove through the dark suburban streets, plotting out his mission in his head like an assassin. He usually brought his son to this park to play, but tonight, it was all about business. Tonight, he would take action. He would save the bees. I'm driving there. Once again, I have that feeling of like, yeah, this seems right. You know, this is what I should be doing. Not nervous or anything. And then I, I, I pull up and there's a bunch of people at the park. And I'm like, what's going on here? And they're just like, I don't know, hanging out, being hood rats and smoking something. They're just hanging out. And I just kind of got out of my car and got all of my equipment. And they're looking at me like I'm some kind of crazy person. Like, what is this guy doing with a ladder? Like park maintenance, it's 10 o'clock at night. I think the other thing that I really love about Leo's story is that he is so not afraid to be the guy that loves bees. In running after my own dreams, for some reason I felt totally comfortable running after the actor dream. But years later, when I got this podcast in my head, I was really judgmental of myself. And especially when I figured out that I wanted the podcast to be about the lies that we tell ourselves, Honestly, I stalled for like almost a good year because I just thought, really, you're going to be Matt LeBlanc, the guy who starts a podcast about lying to himself. That's who you're going to be. So much judgment to keep myself in a box. And I start setting up my ladder and then one of the guys pops out of nowhere and he's like, yo, are you, are you, are you a beekeeper? 
I'm like, not yet. And he's like, what do you mean not yet? Are there bees right there? I'm like, yeah, there's some bees in this tree. And he's like, hey, aren't you the guy that sells mushrooms at the farmer's market? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Who are you? And he's like, I'm the cousin of the guy who sells the dried fruits. I know Cruz. And I'm like, no way. Do you know Manny? He's like, yeah, I know Manny. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he's like, it's so cool. I'm going to record you. Can I record you? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Please do. I didn't think to do it myself. And he's just like, have you ever done this before? I'm like, no. And he's like, are you nervous? I'm like, no, I'm actually not. He's like, this is nuts. And what luck that there was actually someone there to film this. Leo looked down into stuff. He told himself his story. This feels so normal. I can save bees. Delusion. What to do first? The ladder. He leaned it up into the dark trunk of the tree. This would put him face to face with the hive. He put on his headpiece and his gloves, his smoker tucked into his pants, which was lucky because he had to carry a giant pair of pruning shears. With all of his research behind him, he climbed the ladder. I'm going up there in the tree and I really don't know exactly what I'm doing. You know, I'm just, I'm just making whatever I have work. I climbed up the ladder with my tree shears because I knew I was going to have to cut the branch because the, the beehive was on, on the branch of the tree and I knew I was going to have to cut the branch but I also have to be holding the branch when I cut it. The branch was about an inch or so thick. He got to the top of the ladder and he could hear the bees buzzing in the darkness. He pulled out the smoker to calm them a bit before he began pruning the leaves off the rest of the branch. In a perfect world, he was gonna carry the rest of the branch down off the ladder with the hive attached to it. So he didn't want any cumbersome shrubbery. You know those cartoons where they're like sawing the tree and then the tree falls and they're up on the branch and they're looking at the tree or whatever. I was actually grabbing the wrong part and and I was starting to cut and I was thinking if I actually cut right now, the beehive is going to literally land on my face and all the bees are going to scatter and it's going to be a big mess. So like I had to like stop myself completely, put my hand on the branch that's actually going to be the thing that comes off and then confirm that I have it and then keep going. Because I was just so like in the zone. I was like, all right, no, no, you're actually doing something right now you need to be paying attention to. It was surreal to be up in the tree, in the dark, in his net headpiece, smelling the smoke and hearing the bees buzz. He was surprisingly calm, even if he wasn't moving particularly gracefully. And the bees this whole time, because I smoked them a little bit, so they were kind of, you know, they were calm. But it was interesting because I never knew that what it felt like. I've only known that they do this. I just didn't know what it felt like to hear the bees talk to you. I know it sounds like a delusion, but this is a real thing. Because they're aware of my presence and they're buzzing in unison to send me messages. And it's really interesting because like, you know, they'll tell you if if you're doing something they don't like or if they're mad or if they're calm or if they're nervous, like you can hear that all in their buzzing. So it's like they're talking to me and I'm like, oh, hey guys, like, hi, (laughs) like, I guess you're you're telling me what you need. So, you know, I'd kind of shake the the bush a little bit and they'd kind of, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, I gotcha. But it was profound, you know. It felt like this is this is what I want to hear. <laughs> these, these are the kinds of things I'd like to hear often, um, just because I'm so excited to be there. And uh, so, I, yeah, I grabbed the branch, and I, I had to grab the branch, so my other hand had to be using the shears, the really long shears. And, you know, so I'm, I'm using my neck and, like, my other arm, and I'm, like, pushing it up into my neck in order to cut the branch. And then all of a sudden, they hear that snap. And I'm like, okay, now it's just me holding the bees. It's that moment when you're really living. No longer feeling the weight of the tree behind his hand, he was suddenly holding the hive and balancing on the top of the ladder. Without thinking, he launches the garden shears out into the darkness. As the kids say these days, I yeeted those shears into oblivion at that point. After it was done doing what it was doing, I was like, I don't need to care about these right now. I need to care about the bees. Like, I'm in it. I've committed and there's no going back. Like, there's, this is it. Like, I have bees in my hand. There's, There's no other way to go about this that doesn't harm the bees other than saving them. 
um, or dropping them. <laughs> I may be projecting here, but this feels like a little bit of a delusion, right? Like maybe he just put on blinders that the only thing that could possibly happen next was for him to safely climb down off the ladder with the bees. I mean, you could always slip, drop the hive on the stoner filming you below and you both fade off into the great beyond like Macaulay Culkin did in My Girl. Remember when he dies from getting stung by bees? Sad movie. Anyway. So I'm like coming down and the guy's recording me while I'm doing it and I'm just so in it. Like I don't even know what's going on around me. Climbing down the ladder with no hands. I have the bees like right in my face, climbing down the ladder, going over to the box and I balance the branch on top of the box. And I, I, was, I was lowering the bees slowly down into the box and the, the branch was perfectly cut. I was lucky that it was perfectly cut to just kind of lean in the box. And I completely closed the box without a bee getting out. Like it was, they were all in there and I closed up the box. The internet says roughly 30,000 bees can live in a hive the size of a basketball. Who knows if that exact number is true, but it was a shitload. And now Leo had that shitload of bees in a box. So what now? I picked up the box and I brought it over to my car and the guy's like, wait, are you just gonna put that in your car and drive home with bees? And I'm like, yes, yeah, it's the only way to do it, right? I don't know how else to do it. Uh, so I, you know, I cleaned everything up and I got in the car and I'm sitting in the car and I'm thinking, this is so normal. Like I didn't expect a feel has to be so normal. I always thought it was going to be like this, like this whole thing, but it really wasn't. And I drove all the way home. I could hear him back there. Not a bee got out you know, the whole time. I was just driving home and I put the box in my backyard and I said, I'm going to transfer them into the hive in the morning. And so that night I went to bed and I was like, I got bees in the back. <laughs> I, I have a whole hive in my backyard finally after all this time who would have thought wow what was going through my head was are they going to be okay at night and i actually kind of lost some sleep over that which is kind of funny because i usually don't lose sleep over anything um so i was like <laughs> worried about my bees but i was also thinking that was so easy it, it felt like you know all i had to do was just do it and i would have been fine all along so as i was like coming to this point it was great that i'm doing it now but man i could have been doing this you know, since I was out of high school, really, it really wasn't that hard for me in the same way that I feel like maybe somebody giving a haircut does it all the time and it seems natural to them. And I don't think I could ever cut anybody's hair and make it look good. But doing that is easy to me as I could ever imagine. And maybe it's because I had done all the research and I had all this knowledge in me. But I think a lot of it had to do with just like my natural affinity for the kind of work it was to get those bees into that box. And the most profound moment came the next day when I actually transferred them. Staring at the ceiling, playing back over his night's adventure step by step, and just when he's completed the fantasy and thinks he might actually try to go to sleep, he remembers that he gets to go play with them again in the morning, and a whole new fantasy begins. What do you fantasize about when you're supposed to be falling asleep? Think about your inner monologue. That is your necessary delusion. Or at least it's a good place to start. When was the last time that you got excited like a little kid on the night before Christmas? This feels a little vulnerable to admit, but these days, for me, it's this podcast. So I wake up. I'm super excited about my bees. It was a Saturday, which is also the other reason why I put it off because I didn't want any kind of distractions. And I wanted the baby to have somebody to hang out with so I don't have to put him at risk. So... I go in the backyard and I get all suited up and I get my smoker out and I smoke the bees and I open them up. They're all still there. I mean, things are looking good. And at this point, the process is you have to take the comb and you have to insert it into the frames. So the frames are what hold the comb in the hive. But since this comb is just a free floating hive, I have to like take it and rubber band it into the frame and they'll eventually fix it into the frame themselves. 
So with his gloves and his big net headpiece, he begins the task of taking the basketball-shaped beehive apart, which, as you can imagine, makes the bees go absolutely everywhere. If you were to actually like look at the hive itself, there are these long, very thin slabs of hive. And the one on the furthest most from the center of the hive is small, and they get bigger and bigger to form that ball shape. Each one is like a, a row or a column. So, you know, just like in a grocery store where you have these like really thin aisles with all the food and stuff on them, it's just like that. So I'm taking the whole aisle and I'm just kind of breaking it off with a branch and it just slides right out without touching anything. So I just, I just kind of break it off in pieces. It's like taking a big cookie and rubber banding it into the frame. I had gloves on and I had my headpiece on. I eventually took some of that stuff off to do certain things because I couldn't see or I needed my hands to be a little more, you know, dexterous. So just different parts during the process, I would take things off or put them back on because the bees were super calm. It's like they knew that I wasn't going to hurt them, but I was lucky enough to have them pretty calm for most of it. All the pieces were falling into place, except for one, the queen. If he wanted this to work, if he really wanted the bees to stay, then he was going to have to find the queen and make sure she was in that box. They like to hang out where the queen is, but since I split so many things apart, they're all just kind of near the area. Once they know where the queen is, they'll start to go there. So I knew I had to find the queen and get her in the hive so that the other bees will catch on to the fact that she's in the hive and move into the hive. So as I'm looking on this branch, for some reason I had a feeling that the, the queen was on the, the branch still. There was thousands of bees in the box in three different locations, and I could have been looking through there forever trying to find that queen. I've never found a queen before. I know what she looks like. I've seen other people find queens. I myself have never done it. So this is like, you know, the, the theoretical versus the actual. Delusion. And I'm like, okay, this is it. You know, I'm going to put my skills of finding a queen to the test. It's the hardest Where's Waldo you've ever had. The queen is supposedly bigger than the other bees, but I've seen people find queens in TikTok videos, and it's a pretty impossible task. They just look like any other bee, but they're slightly larger. Slightly. So I'm looking through this, this branch at every different angle, and I'm scooping bees with my hand and looking in the scoop and then putting them in the hive, scoop another handful of bees and put them in the hive and I'm just scooping and scooping and all of a sudden I got down to like this a few more bees and I saw her and the moment I saw her like my heart started pounding I'm like oh there she is like it was like oh you're the most beautiful thing in the world come back here <laughs> she's like crawling away she's doing her thing and I start to kind of like I pinched her for a second I'm like no this is wrong this is not how you do it so I later got up went inside I found a little tiny very small jar for jelly that I'd cleaned out and I drilled some holes in the top and I went out back there and I, I picked up the branch again and I, I coaxed her into it and I sealed it off and I put it in the hive so the bees could smell her, but she's contained so she doesn't fly away or do anything. And then I, I put the box up against the hive and they formed a little bridge and they started going into the hive all at once on this little bee bridge. And I kind of helped the ones that were up top by scooping them. As I was doing all this, when I was finding the queen and I found her and I was doing all this stuff, I had never felt more built for something in my life than when I was doing it. And it was like, all I had to do was do it, finally. And all those other times when you're doing the research is not what it took to get there. It helps when you get there, but it wasn't what it took to get there. Since we have recorded this story, Leo has saved his second swarm. He now has two brood boxes full of bees in his backyard. And after all of his years of research and his relentless fantasy to take action, he's discovering himself as an expert. The last time I looked at my original hive, there's already honey in there and pollen and I see them working hard and then the next one's just you know they're they're getting their comb established I need to check next week to see if there's any eggs in which case I'll have to either requeen which is a whole process that I've researched or uh, the queen will be laying eggs and I don't have to worry about it but you know it's cool to be able to like to see it and get the experience and like I guess I'm taking steps to become an expert.
I want to thank Leo for his story today and for inspiring me to continue to use this podcast to flesh out 30,000 little stories of my own that could be magic and have the potential to sting only if they are not kept properly. If you want to get in touch with us with your own necessary delusion, you can email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com or reach out to me on Instagram at yesmatthew. Send us $1.43 to at yournecessarydelusion on Venmo to show your love. And write us a review on Apple iTunes, that's the Purple Podcast app, if you appreciate what we're doing. We've got new stories coming to you every Monday, or if I miss one or two, then I'm told it is not the end of the world. But you are definitely not going to want to miss our next story, which I am calling I Am Doughboy. As soon as I show up, I knew something was wrong. Because I smelled weed off of the nigga that was at the reception desk. I'm like, why do you, of all people, smell like weed? So I'm going back and forth with her. As we're talking, all I hear is boop, 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 boop. And before I can say another word, boom, door gets kicked in. Federal agents storm the room. A big thanks to Leo, a big thanks to Travis, and a big thanks to Paola Monterde, the love of my life, for always listening to my story, regardless of how silly or imaginary it can be sometimes. We'll see you next time. The scout bee will go and find a bunch of flowers, take a sample from as many flowers as it can, and then it gets a general idea of how many flowers are there and how far away it is from the hive. When they get back to the hive, they go inside the hive and they go in this little ring of bees, so the little bees making a ring around them, and they're listeners. So they listen to this bee as it dances. And the dance that it does is a very specific dance. It'll, it'll walk around in a circle and it will shake its butt in the middle of the circle. And for how long it takes for the bee to, to create the circle is how far away it is. How far away the flowers are. Are you following this? And then they shake their butt to tell how much nectar there is. So how many bees should go out to find this place and how many there's going to be needed to efficiently harvest this nectar. And then the bees take all this information in, will calculate the angle of the sun in relation to when they will head out. So when they go out, they have calculated the, the change of the angle of the sun based on how much time it's been since they learned the dance to get how far and where, what direction, and, and how much nectar is going to be there. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. Really? I mean, honestly, how did we learn all of that? It almost sounds like a... delusion. It's almost unbelievable, but we have enough science to back that we know that that's at least maybe what's going on.